Okay, today is the 17th of March. We're going now straight into the Law of Repulse. You saw on this diagram of the eight-armed cross of the laws, and we have the seven cosmic laws, and which we call group laws. And these cosmic laws are really laws of the cosmic astral plane. I've put on top of the eight-armed cross one of the laws of the cosmic mental plane, which is the law of attraction. Now, the law of attraction is the law that manifests via the sixth subplane of the cosmic mental. We'll get into the law of attraction some weeks from now. So, the law of attraction is the cosmic law of love in many ways. And um, all of these group laws are really sub-laws of the law of attraction. They're attracted to the cosmic mental plane, to the love principle of the embodying deity. The law of repulse, therefore, is the polar opposite of this particular law. It's not, in a sense, opposite, but it just is the other end of the arm of the arc or of the line of descent, if you wish. The law of repulse really means it's the beginning of the process whereby the disciple begins to respond to this cosmic law of attraction and is attracted to it. Um, the law of attraction is from the great cosmic magnet that is the heart within the mind of God. And therefore, it is that which eventually pulls all back to its originating source. And the law of repulse, it's agency that begins the process. Most of you who have read Buddhism are quite aware of, of lots of the mantras, the statements um, that are given there to do with samsara and the evils of samsara and the nature of substance and, and they have a, a whole almost endless numbers of thoughts and ideas and bija symbols and all the rest of it relating to being repelled from samsara, from the material world to look upwards to divinity, to the void, to shunyata as the antidote of living in the world of illusion, of, of suffering and death and decay that all of us experience. So you can think in terms of beginning of this law of repulse when you're repulsed by the attributes of samsara, when you're repulsed by the, the misery, the unhappiness, the pain, the suffering, the death and all the rest of it associated with being in a physical body and therefore you aspire upwards to divinity to gain release from suffering. And you can see that the Buddha's Four Noble Truths is also part of this aspect of the law of repulse. And it has behind it the great cosmic law of attraction. All you know, life is suffering. The causes of suffering is because you're attached to things that are transient and impermanent. And the secret of release from suffering is to not be attached to those transient things and the methodology is the Eightfold Path. So there we have this law from this level in a nutshell. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. And so I'll start reading out from this manuscript. The seven arm of the cross of direction and space signifies the descent of energy to serve the little ones. Here the law of repulse demonstrates its potency. The symbol of this law, the law of all destroying angels, this esoteric title, is an angel with a fly, flaming sword. 
So you can see that when you're looking at the law of repulse, and I was talking about it from the point of view of a human unit reacting to, to pain and suffering and karma, but here the esoteric symbol is the angel with the flaming sword, the law of all destroying angels. And therefore it brings into to view the energies of the deeper kingdom. In many ways, therefore, this law of repulse is the beginning of the path that makes you seek out your diva complement and to fuse with it. The angel of the flaming sword, technically this symbol of, a, of an angel of the flaming sword is, is a wrathful deity. It's this, this more Christianized version of it, of the same thing. The wrathful deity are guarding the secrets of, of initiation and the the candidate must overcome the allurements before they can effectively battle the the ferocity of the wrathful deity and only when they have developed, we've used the term in Buddhism, void attributes, um, can they pass. So this whole yogic process and the beginning of the yogic process is this law or is signified by this law of repulse. And as you work to master your samskaras, master your desires and so forth, and you begin to be repulsed by those types of activities that once held you captive and kept to samsara, that kept you trapped in the cycles of continuously manifesting karma, and you no longer wish to manifest those activities and manifest what you work upon is the elimination of karma. And you can see as you actively tread on the path of eliminating karma then you're following this path of this particular law of repulse and you're being attracted to the source of love on the cosmic mental plane you can see that the journey ahead of you is far and vast and many many things to overcome on many planes of perception the angel of the with the flaming sword is therefore the angel that stands guard at each of your chakras that prevents you from entering or developing the cities, the psychic powers associated with those chakras until you have proved worthy, until you've cleansed yourselves, yourself from the dross, those types of attitudes of minds, those emotionalities that would prevent you from developing that city that would aberrate, distort, the base vision the powers that you would get and of course likewise with the passing of initiation testings so this particular dakini this um, raffle dakini stands at the gate of initiation and bars your way until you have proved worthy yourself worthy the ray energy of this is the first ray of will of power which governs the potency of this law because if you have to generate the first ray in order to be able to overcome samsaric allurements, in order to turn your back what is the turning around in the seat of consciousness. So you turn your back upon samsara, you turn your seat of consciousness upwards to divinity and away from the hell states associated with samsaric living. And this first manifests upon the probationary path because at this stage the candidates definitely react negatively to the attributes of samsara because they clearly see the truth of its nature. Samsara is not eschewed 
but comes to be transformed so that its, its qualities come to be lifted to higher domains. It does have the beginning of the process of the control and transformation of samskaras into enlightenment attributes. So it's not a matter of being a hermit in a cave, but it's actually a matter of bringing samsara with you to the cosmic mental plane by transforming its attributes. And this is the nature of this law of repulse. It's, it's not an emotional repulsion, it's an act of compassionate, transformatory love. As Jesus said, I have sent to my Father will draw all men, all life unto me. And this is the law of repulse. You bring it all with you as you travel upwards. The probationer, and of course it's, when we're talking about the probationer, it's somebody who's definitely been accepted by a master for training to be to be integrated into the master's ashram. And therefore the probationer learns the elements of this law of repulse. The law of service is already a fait accompli in the probationer. They can't become a probationer, probationary disciple for a master's ashram unless they are a serving disciple. And of course the serving disciple has already sacrificed aspects of themselves and their attitudes to samsara in order to thus serve. And so the next step on from being a serving disciple is to be one that is actively transforming samskaras that are working upon their mental emotions, their desire body, and transforming those attributes into enlightenment qualities. The probationer works upon him or herself to produce better ethics and response to life. In doing so, the impact upon the world of around is to start to uplift the collective substance of the environment to a higher domain. This uplifting process of the all is an effect of the energy of this law of repulse. It producing a driving forward to higher domains and greater freedom of expression of the life that was formerly imprisoned. So one following this law of repulse is working at imprisoning the hidden life behind the form. And this is the devic life when we're talking about forms. The angel with the flaming sword guards the portals of initiation from the unworthy. It repulses those unable to work to walk the way of group consciousness. The substance of their sheaths is too low a caliber and must be burnt away by means of the flaming sword. So you can see this whole attribute of the fires of mind to burn away the substance of the emotions and desire and gross substance. It transforms gross substance as it burns. It liberates the life. The sword is that of discriminating wisdom and cuts away that which no longer serves a purpose. This law is primarily enthroned upon the highest subplane of the cosmic dense physical or the Adi, plane Adi and therefore ultimately concerns the purpose for the sacrificial act of incarnation in material substance for a human unit or logos, which is to progress the little lives constituting that substance. It concerns the driving forward of the sum of evolutionary space. So you can see this law of repulse, as I've mentioned before, is that as one aspires upwards, they must take the entire attribute aspects of evolutionary space with you and this is the bodhisattva vow. I shall never cease striving until all sentient beings have been released from suffering. And this law of course is the opposite polar of the major cosmic law of attraction. 
when with regards to these um, major cosmic laws, I, there's five ultimately, but there's three main ones. One is the law of economy, which governs the entire activity of the cosmic dense physical. The, the second is the law of attraction, which governs the love manifestation of love wisdom principle, or the evolution of consciousness, or the watery life of the logoic sphere. And the third one is that of sacrifice, which governs the way of the fiery attribute of the logos, the way of the mind. So this cosmic law of attraction concerns the cosmic pull, similar to gravity, of the lesser atoms con constituting embodied forms to the greater logoic sphere. All of these group laws concern consciousness and the inherent life with its incorporated consciousness lives lives are all attracted to the central source of being. This law fosters the ability of Navanis to travel outwards upon any of the seven cosmic paths upon attaining the sixth initiation. So you can see that this law of repulse is that which finally drives the liberated master to travel onwards into cosmic space to their uh, stellar destinations, being attracted by the cosmic law of attraction. So repulse and attraction, you can see that these are the two ends of a magnet, a cosmic magnet, um, one end being repulse and the other one being attraction. And similar with a magnet, you can see that on one end, if you get two magnets with the same end, with the opposite ends, they'll repel each other, and then two magnets with the same end will well, positive and negative ends will attract each other. And so you get an idea of this concept of magnetism, concept of electricity, and what the path is all about. The law of repulse therefore governs the increased incentive towards gaining enlightenment that is the foundation of the attraction to divinity which ultimately facilitates travelling the cosmic paths. The law of service, the basic conditioning quality of all initiates has become such an established fact in the life of the aspirant that allows a master to include the aspirant into his ashram. The disciple can now be provided with instructions as part of the development of the group progress of the ashram, which will produce the first initiation. The associated phrase of the Beatitudes, and remember I was talking about Beatitudes and all of these laws, is he opened his mouth and taught them. It is ruled by Taurus the Bull, which clothes the substance of the ideas of candidates along the lines of what is needed if they are to progress towards light. The activities of those upon the probationary path as they progress to gain initiation will help to drive all forward to experience the revelations of the mysteries in the precincts of Shambhala. Probationers are therefore impelled to learn the context of the mysteries, to master their corporeality and to experience what the entire mandala of the ashram provides. The first ray must be developed and expressed to overcome all obstacles upon the higher way, through to experience of shunyata and beyond. The associated quality of the will is what opens the doors to the mysteries of initiation. And so you can see, again, the necessity of the development of the will. Good will, the will to love, the will of love, and then finally the divine will. These are the stages of the development of the will that the aspirant must learn. The impact of strong, potent energies as a consequence of piercing the higher strata of energy by means 
of service-based activity at first produces a strain upon the uncontrolled mental-emotional substance of the disciple. At this stage, however, the energy is channeled to the physical domain, often producing yogic austerities, or their modern forms of expressing control over the physical body and all aspects of desire, for instance sexuality, the right use of money, and of moderating the need for physical comforts. As the initiation path advances, ever greater intensities of energies are experienced and must be wisely appropriated by the initiate. So you can see that this law of repulse is that which um, produces the initiation path. And as you follow this path, you receive ever greater bountiful bouts of energy and that energy really is the attractive energy and it's the attractive energy of the master at the center of the ashram it's of your soul it's of the hierarchy of life it's of shambhala and then it's of the cosmic sources to which shambhala itself is attracted so you move away from samsara and the material domains and from plane after the plane you're going to higher and higher plane of perceptions and you're going to the highest or of of them all that it's possible to achieve. This um, increase of energy is a direct consequence of the initiate's ability to increasingly progress towards developing the will of love and the divine will. Inevitably, through right discriminations, it produces the repulsion of hindering attributes of the form. As the development of the will intensifies, so more limitations to the reception of the energy expression occurs necessitating an increasing refusal to be involved with that which does not produce manifesting divinity or enlightenment. You simply refuse to get involved with forms of samsaric activity that do not and will not be productive of enlightenment. And so this concept of refusal is, which is um, also the sixth initiation term for, is again an aspect of this law of repulse. Consequently, the nature of the soul within the form is revealed. Its governing laws are comprehended and consciously worked with. The development of reception to the energy of the will becomes the driving impetus of the law of repulse. It drives all of the other laws forward towards the cosmic mental plane, assisted by the general pervasive pull of the law of attraction. So you can see that once you are accepted as a probationer in a master's ashram and the law of repulse then comes into effect and it derives all of the laws onwards to the ultimate goal. For humans it has gradually developed mainly at first as a consequence of the effect of pain and suffering. Forms of attachment to illusionary phenomena are then relinquished with the law of karma silently directing the outcome of each action so that eventually the right choices are made. Consciousness is then able to expand, to include more of the not-self, as people learn that it is better to be loving and kind to others than to be selfish and separativeness. So you can see that this law of repulse is that which produces increasing acts of conscious expansion until you are a liberated master. Goodwill towards others is next developed, followed by the will to love. Herein lies the foundation to the development of all the laws of group evolution arising in humanity. When the will to love becomes the will of love, bodhicitta, 
then consciousness works fully in compliance with group laws. And of course it works fully in compliance with group laws because by that time group consciousness is all that the initiate knows and works consciously and automatically with the laws of evolution in nature and of the universe. Esoterically, Virgo the Virgin rules this law through sympathetic identification with the needs of whatever the child is to be born. Virgo is a divine mother who is always pregnant. And in this case, the child in her womb is the developing initiate that will find the place of parturition in Capricorn, the Mount of Initiation, being the ninth sign after Virgo, including Virgo. Those in her womb must overcome the material conditionings governing it, if they are to be born out of it. The first to appear are first-degree initiates that are poor in spirit. And here I'm referring again to the Beatitudes. Still needing many teachings that will help them on their path to enlightenment as they develop via the law of group progress. The association with the sign Virgo has a specific reference to the Diva Kingdom, the Mother's Department. They ensoul the substance of all forms, which incorporates the limitations of incarnation. Thus all bodies of manifestation use the Divas. In the highest case, we have the building of the sheaths of the monad, samsara, which is constituted of divic substance, also comes into perspective. The divas in question here are those of the fifth creative hierarchy, which form a symbiotic relationship with humans, in that they embody the substance of the mind and are thus the quality of our thoughts, imaginations, dreams and meditations. They are also incorporated as the substance of the Samborgokea flowers. Initiation, then, is a process that produces a divine marriage, an eventual fusion of the human, the fourth and the fifth creative hierarchies, at the sixth initiation. This process is part of the mystery of the Sphinx, which has a lion's body, the masculine human, fourth creative hierarchy, and a woman's head, the feminine diva hierarchy. Now what I'm really referring to here, and I'm not going to details at this particular stage in this book, because it's a, it's a major subject, is actually much more to do with the mystery of the Sphinx than what people imagine, and that's got to do with the descent of substance or the, the nature of, of the procreation of form by, such as a solar system, by a cosmic logos and the incorporation of all the lives within that form so that um, eventually human and diva come to interrelate. We see for, therefore that effectively under the law of sacrifice, each hierarchy sacrifices its own identity in order to gain liberation from the throes of dense physical incarnation. Mergence between the two hierarchies provides the way of escape out of the confines or prison of the cosmic dense physical plane. We thus have the appearance of a Buddha or Dhyan Kohan, a divine being of meditation substance that is neither human nor diva, or rather a fusion of both. Of both. So what I'm really talking about here, and I didn't go it's probably sufficient into it in this book, but of course it's reserved for, for later commentary, is that this law of repulse literally means you seeking out, or the human unit seeking out its diva complement, and fusing with the diva complement, and thereby escaping the limitations of form, as both are attracted to the higher domain. And that is what makes a Buddha that eventually can leave the confines of an earth sphere.
This process for the incarnate human necessitates a continuous series of renunciations, as one form of attachment after another must be renounced upon the upward way to cosmic bliss. So you can see within our forms, within our delusional bodies that we're all sitting in right now, we renounce its attachments to materialistic activity. And we look upwards to the soul. Eventually we unite with the soul, which is a solar angel. It's a divic form. And after gaining that initiation relating to identification of the soul form, then comes the next renunciation at the fourth initiation when the soul form itself dies because a higher movement, a higher identification is perceived. In this case, of course, it's monadic identification. And then the monad itself moves at the appropriate time after complete fusion with the diva unit, its complement. And then there's nothing left that can attract such an entity to the confines of the dense physical form of a Logos. And so you can see this law of repulse is quite a beautiful law and it's more than just being repulsed by samsara, it actually is the process of fusion or emergence with it and bringing it to the higher domain through the transmutation of the gross substance. The process of incarnate human necessitates a continuous series of renunciations as one form of attachment after another must be renounced upon the upward way to cosmic bliss. Eventually even the soul form must be renounced when the initiate can stand upon the fixed cross in the semblance of a crucified Christ, a world teacher. The initiate then prepares to mount the cardinal cross that will cause the cosmic door to be opened to allow escape from the confines of the cosmic dense physical plane. The ability to mount this cross implies following the way of the law of repulse to the development of first ray attitude. The will to love, the will of love and divine will are espoused and expressed to make one a world saviour. Thus the way stands clear for the final act of renunciation and sacrifice, wherein the planet as a field of activity is left behind. And so you can see the nature of this law of repulse and how vast in scope um, its expression really is. This is the name that DK gives and I don't think you could find a better law because as I said it's the polar opposite of the law of attraction. So one end of the magnet is the law of attraction and the other end is the law of repulse. The true law is the uh, the law of repulse is the exoteric name. The exoteric name is the law of all destroying angels. Yeah, the destroying angel refers to the ending of cycles. So you yeah. cut off one cycle, you start the next cycle, and it's always on a higher level of attainment, and you cut that cycle, and you start the next cycle on a, on a higher level, and it's always on a higher, subtler level. And so it's the use of the sword to discern, um, to discriminate, to cut off, and then to transcend as you take the next step upwards. But with that, you can see that you're bringing all life with you. It's not a individual entity working, but an entity working as part of group evolution to draw the all up. And basically this particular law, it's the Piscean attitude, attribute that is behind this law. 
of, of the ending of cycle and then the starting of a new one. We're always in the higher cycle. So that's, you know, symbolized all in many ways, something like Jacob's ladder where he's um, climbing up to God. So it's level after level after level, but you can only do that as you've mastered the level before or below. And so we, we think of repulse in terms of motions, but this is really repulse in terms of energy. There's a certain yes. energy field that no longer attracts you and that you have to leave it behind and so you uh, effectively push it away as you move up. You leave that which um, cannot move with you behind because you must move upwards with those that can. That's an alchemical process, yes. And that's the reason why he, as you can see, it's a divic thing, it's the angel. So I tried and I didn't do it as successfully as I would have liked as I can see now in this reading. Of, of trying to point out that it has really got to do with the integration with the diva component and the, the moving with the diva mind that is the driving force behind this law. Or the yeah. law of repulse is compassionately working with all of that samsara in order to liberate it. You can see that this particular fourth law is quite important one and it's the one uh, that sets the stage of the initiate. Um, the entire path of the initiate is working with this law. Okay, so so anyway, this this particular law is one that uh, that that is in my heart. So basically, just think of it in terms of the law of all destroying angels, whatever that means to you. Because the destroying angel is, of course, the, the lord of karma. It brings about the cycles of karma, so that um, karma is cleansed, so that all can move up, all can move to higher levels of experience. There's some particular law of karma and you can see what happens with the law of karma and the law of karma is a diva law. It's governed by divas and it's within divic substance. When you think of the law of karma and you see the way that people react to karma when they have bad karmic experiences one after the other because of having to pay back old old Jews, things they, they earned. And eventually they just simply react to it and um, it causes them to do the right thing. It causes them to renounce this or that or to regret or often to swear or whatever because of what's happened to them. But you can see the way that the law of karma causes them inevitably to be repulsed by cycles of materialism, cycles of, of war, of death and pain and suffering. And so you can see that this particular law of karma, the law of attraction and this law of repulse. And I've made it, I said that it's the highest of the planes, the dense, you know, Adi, and the first ray, and therefore it is technically the first of the laws, the highest of the laws, though because of what it really is about. Yeah, it's at the lowest point of the wheel. But it is the effect of the highest of the laws. And the law of sacrifice is the middle of the laws, it's the heart itself. It's the way of expression of the heart. Whereas law of repulse is, as you said before, it's the way of expression of the will of the mind because it sees what needs to be done and what needs to be changed and it goes about doing it. You can see why this particular group laws, as I put it at the end of my meditation initiation, because it's something that when people are thinking of meditation, they, they don't imagine these group laws. And it's time now for them to be properly publicized and for people to begin to think, you know, that it's group evolution, what life is about, and not in terms of their separate forms of spirituality.